Welcome. Church of the Advent is an Anglican congregation in Denver, Colorado, that seeks to share in the life of God by redefining and reorienting everything around the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hope you are challenged, encouraged, and move closer toward the gospel by this week's message. Well, good morning. Of course, many of our women are away on the women's retreat. I'm very happy to see some of you ladies here to keep us civilized this morning. Um, You'll have noticed a a pervasive theme in in the readings, that of shepherding. It's Good Shepherd Sunday, the fourth Sunday of Easter, the church all over the world sets aside to consider what it means that Jesus, Jesus is our good shepherd. Now, this opens to us a thousand, a million trails we, we could walk down, but in my study and prayer, I sort of just sensed a call to invite us very simply down this one path, the path of hearing, hearing the shepherd's voice. What does it look like? What, how? How do we hear the shepherd's voice? So I'm going to mash up a few of the verses from John 10 all of those to do with hearing his voice. And here's what we find. Jesus says, the sheep hear the shepherd's voice and he calls his own by name and he leads them out. He goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. I am the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So I just want to attempt to answer two questions. Why do we listen to the shepherd's voice and how? Why and how? And so first, why? Well, because first of all, we're sheep, and second of all, because he's the good shepherd. We are sheep. And as I've often reminded us, that is not a compliment. I've, uh, I've started um, looking into stories and researching a little bit about shepherds, and, and as I've come back to this theme year after year, and I keep coming back to this story, there's this story of um, shepherds looking from a distance as they watch one sheep fall from a cliff. This happened in Gavus, Turkey. One sheep fell helplessly from a a cliff to its death. And then they watched from a helpless distance as the rest of the 1,500 sheep in this huge flock followed the tail in front of them off the cliff. In the end, only 450 died because the rest created a massive pillow for the rest of them to fall on. So 400 dead and and 1,100 walked away from this incident. So a sheep sheep is an expert at dying. It really is. We have wild dogs. We have wild cats, we have wild pigs, we have wild horses, we have no wild sheep. Why? Because a wild sheep is a sheep without a shepherd, and a sheep without a shepherd is dead. That's just the way it goes with sheep. Its hair will get too long, and it'll lead to impossible weight and and infection. Grass will get stuck in their eyes and eventually blind the sheep. Without a shepherd, a sheep will, will drink spoiled water. It'll get stuck in ravines. It'll freeze to death or starve to death. A sheep must have a shepherd. And the Christian spiritual life begins with this very humble admission that, yep, I'm a sheep. My heart is is prone to wonder. It's prone to to sickness. My body is is prone to and vulnerable to breaking. I was thinking about stories I could share with you about how I've been a sheep. Uh, One one came to mind, and it was Lent 2012, when I really got very deeply in touch with my own sheep, sheepness. Jenny and I were, were married in the summer of 2011, and our first year of marriage, we had a lot of conflict. And in the spring of 2012, this depressingly persistent conflict sort of crescendoed in a particularly ugly argument. Jenny had left the apartment, our our studio apartment, to go for a walk and cool off, very wise. I stayed behind to to brood, as one does, um, at least as I do. I was really angry at her, but actually more than anything, I realized I was really angry at myself. I outwardly, I was, was, you know, full of blame for her, but inwardly I knew, I knew Deep down, that it was my own selfishness and pride that led us here. 
And I knew that in the first chapter of our marriage, I, I had been regularly ignoring the Good Shepherd's voice to humble myself and to love selflessly. Now, one way we hear the shepherd's voice is the voice of our conscience. Uh, John Henry Newman called our conscience the, the aboriginal vicar of Christ in the soul. The aboriginal vicar of Christ in the soul. But I had been repressing the shepherd's call to humble love. Now, I mean, not entirely, you know, like it, it's not all bleak, but over and over again, this pattern of conflict, I had seen the way I'd go into conflict and I'd just double down every time. So, in a moment of brooding, she's out for a walk, I'm brooding. I think I've shared the story before, but in a moment of brooding, I'm sitting here on the countertop, and the refrigerator is behind me. In a moment of brooding, I turn around, and just as hard as I can, I punch the refrigerator. And to this day, I bear the wounds in my knuckle. It's called a boxer's fracture. If you ever, I mean, Jess, the doctor knows. If, if people punch something really hard, often you break this knuckle, because you don't punch straight on. Anyways, it doesn't matter. The doctor told me all about it. This knuckle is not there anymore. Um, so I, I had a cast throughout Lent of, of 2012, and other people maybe saw that cast, and they saw, you know, whatever, broke his hand. They didn't necessarily tell everyone the story. Um, but I looked at the cast that Lent, and I saw a refusal to listen to the Good Shepherd's voice. I, I saw that I'd taken a path of selfishness and pride and bitterness and anger instead of the path of our Good Shepherd, the path of, of righteousness and green pastures and quiet waters and abundant life. Now, can you look back... <laughs> in moments of your life, and see that you're kind of like a sheep? Are there moments, particular memories, maybe, that, that you realize, I have been very prone to wonder. My soul is prone to sickness. My body is, is, is vulnerable to breaking. Would, would your internet search history chart a path through toxic pools of pornography or of, of greed? Have, have your thoughts towards your spouse or to your kids or to your roommates or to your neighbors or peers, have they veered through these lands of, of bitterness or, or jealousy or, or rage or pride? Would your, would your journal evidence some kind of existential despair or some kind of festering relational wound? If you could, would you tell you 20 years ago to do it all the same way? Or would you say, careful now, 15-year-old me, you are behaving like a sheep, without a shepherd, and you are wandering into danger. We all know it deep down. We're, we're sheep. We are prone to wonder, to sickness, and ultimately to death, and that's why we all gravitate towards some kind of shepherd. Psychologists first started studying mob mentality in the early 1800s, and one early study at the University of Leeds in England found that subjects who were told to randomly walk around a room will instinctively start following whoever has the most confidence. So in this study, subjects were told to follow their own random path around a large hall. But then a separate, smaller group of subjects were told to walk in a very specific path. And those following random paths very quickly started copying the subjects who were given specific paths, who were walking those paths confidently. The psychologists found that it only takes about 5% of people walking confidently to influence the 95% of people around them. We all have this sort of sheeply instinct to follow someone or, or something that we believe kind of knows what it's doing, or we believe we should trust to follow into green pastures of life. And that's why, that's why Jesus' claim to be the good shepherd is not in contrast to no shepherd, but to bad shepherds, to, to hired hands. At the time, he had Israel's selfish religious leadership in mind, but a hired hand could be really any, any voice you follow or I follow that is misleading us. Jesus frames it as an either-or. We will either follow the good shepherd that leads to abundant life or 
we will follow bad shepherds that lead to destruction. I am the good shepherd, says Jesus. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is the hired hand is not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves, and the sheep leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's, he's a hired hand, cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own by name. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. So do you see the essential difference between the good shepherd and the hired hand, the bad shepherd? The good shepherd sacrifices himself for you, and the bad shepherd sacrifices you for himself. The good shepherd will love you, and the hired hand will exploit you. For a hired hand, you are a number, you are a body, you're an IP address. <laughs> the Social Dilemma is a documentary on Netflix about sort of the brainwashing power of, of shepherd media as a, as a shepherd of our souls. The thesis is that social media isn't engineered to care about you, it's engineered to addict you. Because more of your attention means more influence and more power and ultimately more money, it's, it's a hired hand, it's using you for profit. So I did this three years ago, and I was hoping there'd be, oh, there's a few youth in there. I'm sorry to pick on you, youth, but you're not the only ones addicted to your phones, trust me. If you have them, we all wrestle with it. But would you take out your phone for a minute again? I want to just do this socially. Go ahead, take it out in church. You're going to put it away again soon. If you have a phone, take it out. And you know, I was told very early on to talk back to commercials. Commercials are shepherds of our souls, and so when you're watching commercials, if you're watching TV, sometimes it's going to be telling you something, Pick up on what it's telling you what, and talk back to it. Tell it the truth. Sometimes you've got to preach to yourself a little bit. So look at your phone and say, my phone is not designed to care for me. It is designed to addict me. It can be a great tool, but it is not a good shepherd. So listen, younger people especially, but, but, but all of us, I, I get it. I wrestle with addiction to my phone just like you do. What would your screen time tell you? I want to I encourage us all to consider two habits. Find a time every day to put it down. I, I used to lead students on a week-long summer camp every year, and, and no phones were allowed. And, and basically to a student, they would tell me at the end of that week, it was really hard for the first two days, but by the end of the week, oh, it was worth it. It was so good to just be, you know, to just be not connected 24-7 to the drama and to the insecurity and to all the things that came with it. You know, so what if you said every evening, 7.30, I'm done with my phone. It's crazy, I know, but what if you did it? What if instead you said, I'm going to be present with my family, with my, my siblings, my art, a book, a family movie night. I'm going to be allowed to be, like, bored. You know, I'm going to allow myself to be bored and have time where I don't know what to do. Or if you want to be really crazy, what if you picked a, a day a week, maybe your Sabbath? I want to pick one day a week to just turn it totally off, to put it away. I mean, there are 168 hours in the week. If you can't go 12 waking hours without your phone, you're probably enslaved. <laughs> let's just be honest. Um, so let's, let's think about that. I don't know. I'm not going to tell you exactly what I think you should do, but just think about that relationship you have. How much time and attention are you giving it? And what do you want that relationship to look like? And the second habit... As, as you actually do use your phone, ask if what is happening on the screen is exploiting you or loving you. Is this person texting you like the good shepherd who has your best interest at heart, or are they like a hired hand trying to get something from you for themselves? And conversely, how are you engaging? Are you thinking about what is good for others as you interact? 
So, these are questions we can ask ourselves. Because, again, sheep will, will follow the tail in front of them off of a cliff. And if we don't every once in a while just pick our heads up and look around and, and say, who are we following? Then we'll just follow. We'll be sheep. All right. Now, one thing sheep can teach us. Sheep are, are they're not smart, but they're smart in this way. A real shepherd will tell you that, that a sheep really does know its shepherd's voice. So if you have five flocks mixed in a, in a pen together, and I came over and just started screaming at them, come on, follow me, they're going to ignore me. But if the shepherd comes, the shepherd can separate his or her one flock from the rest of the five. So the sheep know how to ignore the voice of hired hands, of, of those who aren't its shepherd. So in the Christian life, we must not only learn to listen to the voice of the good shepherd, we must learn to ignore the hired hands of our life. I really believe that in the days ahead, as, as corporations especially find ever more clever ways of tempting us and, and attaching computers to our eyeballs and exploiting our attention and shaping our lives, one of the most critical things that we can do for our own formation, for our own ability to hear the shepherd's voice, is just to develop healthy boundaries around our use of technology and of media especially. Maybe it would be helpful to just to do an in inventory for you this week. You know, look at your screen time report. Think about the teachers, the TV shows, the podcast, the Instagram. I'm not saying they're all bad. I'm just saying consider it. Consider what you're listening to. Which voices are exploiting you? Which voices are caring for you? So why listen to Jesus? Because we're sheep. And second, because he's the good shepherd. He's so good. He's the good shepherd because he knows you. Now, a hireling at the end of the day is in it for the paycheck. The wolf attacks, they're gone. But an owner, an owner sees the wolf coming and puts himself between the wolf and the sheep. Why? Because they belong to him. And verse 3 puts it simply, he knows your name. He knows your name. In one firsthand account of Bedouin in the Middle East, my, my professor, Dr. Laniac, wrote a book on shepherding. He asked one real shepherd, what's the most important thing about being a good shepherd? What's the difference between a good shepherd and a medium or a bad shepherd? And you might, you might think the shepherd would say strength or skill or cunning. All those are fine. He says, the essential thing is a compassionate heart for individual sheep. A compassionate heart for individual sheep. The shepherd went on to testify from his own experience that really good shepherds can identify by name 300 sheep. They can discern individual sheep from one another on moonless nights with a soft touch to their face. A good shepherd has compassionate heart for individual sheep. To him, your heart is open. No other shepherd knows you like he does. Now, you're valuable to a hired hand to the extent that they get from you what they want. You're valuable to the good shepherd because you belong to him. He knows you by name. You know, the guy who seems to like you until you put up healthy boundaries around your body is a hired hand. The algorithm that fills your feeds with content to further divide and entrench you in your own biases, that's a hired hand. The images that make you feel left out or, or insecure or ugly or exist only to arouse, those are hired hands. Why listen to Jesus? He's the only shepherd who has ever died that you might live. He knows your every desire, your every need, your every sin, and yet he'll put himself between the wolf's mouth and you. And second, he's good because he treasures you. He knows you, but he also treasures you. How many times have you said or heard someone say, if they really knew what was in my heart or in my mind, they wouldn't be my friend, they wouldn't love me, they wouldn't come to my church? <laughs> but he does know. To him, you're, you're wandering and you're sick and your vulnerable heart. It's an open book, nothing to hide. And yet, you're his treasure. You know, before there was Wells Fargo, there were sheep. 
The shepherd's sheep were literally his treasure, his livelihood, his honor, his wealth, his reputation, all wound up in the flock. And so we listen to the voice of Jesus because we're his, he knows us completely, and he treasures us. Now last week, many of you know I had the privilege of spending a few days in London, and I was sad not to fit in a stop at 221 Baker Street. But I did enjoy reading a bit of Sherlock on the, on the plane. In one of the short stories, Sherlock Holmes, Sherlock is approached by a man named Musgrave, the Musgrave ritual. He's approached with this mystery. On, on his estate, on Musgrave's estate, they had found some bundle that had coins in it, and it had some sort of twisted dark metal in it. And they had discovered that someone had given their lives over trying to get this bundle, and they'd been, they'd been murdered for it. But why? I mean, the, the coins were valuable, yes. But murdered over it? Giving your life for it? Really? You know, one of the objects in the bundle was this old, twisted, dirty, blackened piece of metal. And so Sherlock is, is taking it all in, and then here are his words. Sherlock says, We ascended to his study, and Musgrave laid the debris before me. I could understand his regarding it as of small importance when I looked at it, for the metal was almost black, and the stones lusterless and dull. But I rubbed one of them on my sleeve, however, and it glowed afterwards like a spark in the dark hollow of my hand. I must congratulate you on coming into the possession, though in a rather tragic manner, of a relic which is of great value. What is it then? Musgrave gasped in astonishment. And Sherlock says, it is nothing less than the ancient crown of the kings of England. I once heard Tim Keller use this illustration. It's always stuck with me. The, the police had been out there asking, why would, why would anyone die for this rusty old piece of, of tarnished metal? But, but Holmes understands. It's vintage Holmes. He rubs it on his sleeve, and he sees what no one else can, these precious stones glowing beneath the surface. Under the surface, Sherlock sees what Christ sees here. No one else, maybe, but he does. The ancient crowns of the kings of England, value beyond reckoning. Now, look at yourself in the mirror. Why would anyone die for this? Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, lays down his life for you because he looks under the surface and sees you, a son or daughter of God, a treasure. Even when others can't see past the sin and the muck and the mud, he does. Even when you yourself, you can't see past the sin and the muck and the mud, he does. You are his treasure. Listen to Jesus because you're a sheep and you need a good shepherd, and there's none better. Well, the question remains, how? How do we listen to his voice? Well, that's the work of a lifetime, isn't it? It's not a mathematical equation we can't solve for X. Discerning the voice of the good shepherd is the fruit, really, of an ever-deepening relationship with a risen Jesus. And so if you feel like you have a long way to go, so do I. Join the club. We're all in process. But along the journey, I want to propose three essential practices. Learn the voice of the shepherd through his word. Make space for hearing him through silence. And finally, discern his voice in community. So his word, that's where we must start. If you do not hear, mark, learn, inwardly digest the word of God and the scriptures, you will not know the voice of the good shepherd. So start there. But second, silence. Hired hands are everywhere, and they are very, 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 very loud. They're everywhere. Um, in 1801, at the age of 30, Beethoven complained that his hearing was diminishing. And by the age of 45, he was completely deaf. Some of you know the story. Um, in an op-ed, Arthur Brooks applies a lesson for us. He says, Beethoven was cut off from the world of sound around him. At times, he held a pencil to his mouth, the pencil in his mouth against the piano's soundboard to feel the harmony of the chords because he couldn't hear them. However, it was only then that Beethoven produced the best music of his career. 
culminating in his incomparable Ninth Symphony, a composition so daringly new that it reinvented classical music altogether. Now, it seems a mystery that Beethoven became more original and brilliant as a composer in inverse proportion to his ability to hear. But the truth is, deafness freed Beethoven as a composer because he no longer had society's soundtrack in his ears. Deafness freed Beethoven as a composer because he no longer had society's soundtrack in his ears. So the silence, paradoxically, allowed Beethoven to hear something new. We are constantly connected to a, to a humming, on-live, online hive mind of urgency and information and constancy. It's just the world is so loud. We must take a lesson from the sheep and learn to ignore the hired hands. And this is why Soren Kierkegaard once said, if I were a physician and I were allowed to prescribe one remedy for all the ills of the world, I would prescribe silence. For even if the word of God were proclaimed in the modern world, how could anyone hear it with so much noise? Therefore, create silence. So does silence play a role in your spiritual life? If not, start now. Start small. Maybe just two minutes a day. Maybe you go literally into your closet and turn the lights off and close the door and it's dark and it's quiet. Just be quiet and unproductive and still. Two minutes, maybe five minutes. Maybe you set aside one hour a week. But you've got to start implementing silence into your life so that you can hear the voice of the shepherd. And finally, follow his voice in, in community. Jesus speaks of the sheep, plural, who hear his voice. Of one flock, not many. Just as following the tail in front of you can lead you off a cliff, following the tail in front of you, if they're following the good shepherd, can lead you into green pasture, into abundant life. So what do you do when the fog of, of suffering obscures the path ahead? What do you do when depression or anxiety just create this fog where you can't see where you're going? What do you do when you feel like the shepherd's voice is so far away you can't hear him clearly? Well, in, in prayer in the night, Tish Warren, having lost two children in pregnancy... She speaks of the, the liturgy of the church as a stone marker along the path, these stone markers that tell her where to go next. And these communal practices that we have, our liturgies together, morning and evening prayer, friendship with one another, the creeds, the sacraments, these things are like stones along a path to lead you when you don't know where you're going. So it's okay, actually, if you lose your way. Those around you, have made righteous ruts, we might say, for you to walk in. So follow them as they follow the good shepherd. That's community. So friends, we are sheep. He's the good shepherd. Listen to him speaking. Listen to him in the, the aboriginal vicar of the soul, in your conscience. Listen to him in the scriptures. Make space for him to speak in silence. And of course, listen to him in community alongside one another. I want to pray in closing our collect again, which beautifully summarizes what we've tried to say. O oh God, whose Son, Jesus Christ, is the good, good shepherd of your people, grant that when we hear his voice, we may know him who calls us each by name and follow where he leads. Grant that we may hear him who calls us each by name. Lord, I pray especially for anyone in here who might feel like they, they haven't heard that call. Might they hear it this morning, this week? Might they hear them, hear you calling their name? 
Might they follow where you lead, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening. We encourage you to take a moment to reflect on what God might be saying to you through what you just heard. For questions, additional information, and resources, please visit adventdenver.com.